This is the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast, where I explain how caregivers can lovingly respond to confusing or challenging behaviors and reconnect with family members living with dementia. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes and is no substitute for medical advice or care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 43 how to handle delusions in people living with dementia. In last week's podcast, I described three common types of delusions that you may encounter when caring for a person living with dementia. Persecutory delusions, also known as paranoia, jealousy delusions, and scarcity delusions. There are other types of delusions, but these three are the ones that tend to show up most often in people living with dementia. In today's podcast, I want to cover how to respond to and manage these delusions. Full disclosure, this information comes from my own clinical experiences combined with my knowledge of the neurodegenerative changes that happen in the dementia brain. Sites like the National Institute of Aging and the Alzheimer's Association have very general approaches. I have not been able to find any good approaches in the professional literature either. These are not one-size-fits-all approaches. When my clients work with me to deal with delusional behavior, we spend at least one hour-long session on tailored strategies that fit their family member living with dementia. What I'm going to do next is I'm going to, I'm going to provide general approaches and strategies for each specific type of delusion. The goal here is for you to see where I'm going with this, to get the information, and then tweak the strategies based on your knowledge of the person living with dementia. And if you are interested in working with me one-on-one, there's a couple ways you can do this. If you happen to live in Shelby County of the state of Alabama, I think it's Shelby and there's two other counties, but there's an organization called the Mid-Alabama Area Agency on Aging. And right now I have a contract with them. So people who are eligible for M4A services can contact them, work with a case manager, and then request to work with me. Or if the case manager believes that my expertise is warranted, I get a referral. And that's paid for by grant funding. If you are not eligible for services through the Mid-Alabama Area Agency on Aging, You can also contact me directly and we can see if we would be a good fit to work together. Or the third option is when I launch my competent and confident dementia caregiving programs, you can always sign up for one of those. So there are different ways to work with me. And I did not mean to turn that into a commercial. I just wanted to let people know how they can reach out to me. Okay, let's talk about general approaches. 
when you are interacting with a person living with dementia and they are into their full-blown dementia delusion, regardless of type, the first approach is to respond without defensiveness. And that is easier said than done because let's face it, when you are accused of something you haven't done, you want to defend yourself. It is so natural to go on the offensive. This approach makes things worse in dementia land. If you immediately deny the accusations, you may find that you simply amp up the situation and create more arguments. Then if your loved one living with dementia becomes angrier or becomes more upset, this fuels the delusion even more. The second general response is to respond to the emotion, not so much the content. In addition to hearing the content, pay attention to the emotion that's coming through. Is your loved one sounding frightened, angry, frustrated? My favorite go-to, and it is effective, is to simply respond, you sound, and then fill in the blank. You sound really angry. You sound sad. You sound very upset. And I say it in in a very neutral tone. Then you can wait a couple of seconds after saying what you said, and then say, I want to help. Again, This sentence, like the first one, should be spoken in a gentle, neutral way. Here is why this approach often works. There is a saying in neurology, neurons that fire together, wire together. Emotions get yoked or tied or attached to the delusion. You may notice that a certain emotion, like feeling frightened or feeling alone and isolated happens before the delusional behavior starts. When you acknowledge the emotion and then follow up with a desire to help, you are validating the person living with dementia and you are also helping to de-escalate the emotion. It may take a couple rounds of repeating, you sound fill in the blank, I want to help. And a lot of times people working with individuals living with dementia feel stupid or weird repeating the same sentence or the same two sentences again and again. But you're dealing with people living with dementia. You're not sure at times how much is being comprehended or if it is being comprehended Is it sticking? Because if you have short-term memory loss, you're going to forget what someone just said to you. So don't feel like you have to restate what you're saying 10 different ways because you are just going to confuse the person. It's best to find something, stick to it, and repeat it over and over again. Now I want to jump into specific strategies. First, I'm going to talk about specific strategies for persecutory or paranoid delusions. If the trigger for paranoid behavior is missing objects, you may want to keep 
multiple identical items handy. As I mentioned in another podcast, my family member was always misplacing her wallet and ID cards. I kept the originals in a safe place, but I made laminated originals. And that is a strategy you may want to adopt. When I gave her a new wallet for her birthday, I made sure that I bought four duplicates. These four duplicates had the laminated IDs in place as well. My family member always misplaced these items in my house, so I wasn't worried about identity theft. I knew the wallet would turn up later, like in the laundry, or between the mattress and the headboard, or between furniture cushions. I don't know what it is about furniture cushions, but my family member loved to to mush things in between the cushions of her favorite recliner. The next idea I'm going to share was left as a comment on one of my Facebook posts. I've never tried it, but it is worth a mention because it is very creative. And just a quick aside, whenever I share information, I've received information to share it. If you write to me about something and you say, don't share this, I don't. However, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, oh my gosh, does Rita live in my house? I don't. What's really cool about these podcasts is I believe I'm tapping into fairly common challenges that family members face because I'm fortunate enough to have a clinical practice where every week I hear these challenges. And that's often how I come up with an idea for a podcast. I'll have a theme. I'll have uh, messages in our message portal. And I'll notice that the same topic seems to be coming up repeatedly. Or when I'm in clinic, I will literally have a series of caregivers asking me the same question or discussing the same challenge. So when that happens, I look at that as a nod from the universe, insert deity of your choice, to bring forth and share this information in a podcast. Yes, please don't worry when I talk about previous, when I share in situations from other clients or other situations, I've been given permission. I just wanted to reassure people and not have people think that I'm outing individuals. Not how I roll. Okay. So this next idea, as I said, was left as a comment on one of my Facebook posts, and I have never tried it, but I was so impressed with the approach that I want to share it. So here's a synopsis of the situation. This person is caring for a family member with dementia who thought her food was being poisoned. This caregiver bought a small, empty spray bottle, and you can find these things almost everywhere. Um, I go to the travel area of my favorite grocery store. You can also go to the travel area of your favorite drugstore, and they usually have these little spray bottles that are TSA compliant. If you really want to go big guns, you can always go to places like Lowe's, any hardware store, and they have the empty spray bottles. So this caregiver purchased a small empty spray bottle and she filled it with water. 
She then printed a label on her computer and the label had the word poison in black bold capital letters with a light red X over the word. In smaller print, the label said directions, spray on food. If there is poison, the food will turn bright orange immediately. Underneath the directions, she printed active ingredient, dihydrogen monoxide. That is a tongue-in-cheek chemical term for water because you have two hydrogen molecules and one oxygen or oxide molecule. So hence, dihydrogen monoxide. I would be really curious to hear from people who try this approach and see if it works. I thought it was really creative. And that's the thing. As caregivers, you have a lot of creative ideas. Sometimes it's just a matter of knowing why a behavior is happening or listening to other strategies, and you can just roll with it or adapt it for your particular situation. So at this point, I'm going to take a quick break, and then when I come back, I'm going to talk about dealing with jealousy delusions. Okay, let's talk about jealousy delusions. Caregivers who experience accusations of infidelity feel compelled to present logic. I walk to the mailbox and back. How in the world could I be with another woman? As I've said in other podcasts, logic does not work in dementia land. If you are experiencing, or rather if you're on the receiving end of an infidelity accusation, you may want to respond with something simple, such as, I love you. I would never do that. Or you may want to try a variation of the approach I talked about in the beginning of this podcast by saying, you sound upset. I love you and want to help. In case you are wondering why I keep suggesting that you incorporate I love you into your approach, into your scripts, it is because of the energy of the vibes present in those words. Specifically, your energy and your vibes that change when you express your love for this individual. Many times, but not always, spouses who provide care unconsciously shift their energies. They no longer act like lovers. They stop the kisses and the cuddles and the gentle romantic touches. Instead, they go into full blown caregiver mode. Their touch becomes task-focused, washing, wiping, sliding on clothes. Caregiving is exhausting, so the last thing the spousal caregiver thinks about is kisses and cuddles. I really believe that most of you listening, if you're a spousal caregiver, you're thinking, I'm caring for her. That's love in action. Yes, you know that. I know that. But the person living with dementia, it may not be catching on. Or they may say once in a while, you take such good care of me. But if these are individuals who don't believe they need care, they may not be expressing gratitude. Instead, 
they may be arguing with you a lot because you're doing things and they don't understand why. They're, I'm fine. Why are you telling me to go take a shower? But anyway, I, I have observed this specific phenomena a lot in the last, I guess, eight years that I've been working in my specific clinic. Like I said, sometimes caregiving is exhausting. And if you're the one who is caring for your spouse, you're so focused on making sure they're safe, they're okay, they're clean, they're eating, they're drinking. You may not be tuned in to the affectionate part. And the other thing is, and I don't say this to be nasty, it's the God's honest truth. Caregiving, because it is so exhausting, and because the person living with dementia can sometimes be rough, it's okay that spousal caregivers may actively dislike their spouse and resent the caregiving role. And when this happens, because I see it on the different Facebook groups, the spouses then start to beat themselves up. And other family caregivers will also say things like, today I was trying not to lose it with my mom, with my dad, with my husband, with my wife, and that's okay. I know when I was raising my kids, I always loved my kids. Didn't always like them, but I always loved them. So kids, if you're listening, it's okay, because I knew you felt the same way about me multiple times. It's all right. Because we are imperfect human beings, and many of the dementia behaviors Oh, yes. They test our patience. The problem is your shift in energy can be felt by the person living with dementia and may cause feelings of loneliness or rejection, which then can spark the jealousy delusions. Again, if this sounds like it could be your situation, I am not saying you caused the delusion. Nope. I'm describing the unconscious and subtle changes that happen over time and may fuel the delusion. Here's another issue. What if you are paying for the sins of a previous spouse? Here is one approach I've tried with some success. I instruct the caregiver to have two pictures of his wife. And I'm, I'm referencing the approach I'm talking about is the one I talked about in the previous podcast where Paul was taking care of his wife and she'd been married to John and John was kind of a, a turd muffin. So anyway, in this situation, I instructed the caregiver to have two pictures of his wife, one with her first and yucky husband and one with him. When she started to accuse husband number two, Paul, of cheating, he held out both pictures and he asked her to tell him about the people in the pictures. So he presented the first one to his wife. And the thing is, this technique also serves as a type of distraction. When he showed his wife the picture of her and her first husband and said, tell me about the people in this picture. She says, that's me and John, husband number one. And her current husband said, yes, that's right. John was not good to you. 
And his wife would reminisce for a little bit. She would say a few sentences about John's poor behavior. And once she finished venting, her current husband pointed to the second picture and said, who are the people in this picture? And she would respond, why, that's you, Paul, and that's me. Her husband would then talk about the positive circumstances of the picture. Yes, that is us. That was the trip to California. We had a great time. Paul would then continue to walk her down memory lane, focusing on the good times they had together and telling her how much he loved her. Like noticing an incoming storm, Paul, over time, became very good at noticing when his wife was going to become upset and anxious and fall into the jealousy delusions. Paul would bring out his scrapbooks and derail the delusions. Now, again, you can try these strategies and see if they work for you. Now, the next topic, and I hate to bring this up, but what if the affairs really happened? What if there is a history of infidelity? I'm not a marriage therapist or a family therapist, but some days I feel like I play one. I honestly am not sure how couples move through infidelity. What I do know is that previous difficult experiences tend to resurface as people living with dementia move backwards in time. There is even literature on this topic, how Holocaust survivors with dementia believe they are back in the camps because they are gradually losing their memories so that the only accessible ones are the ones from their distant pasts. Borrowing from this body of literature, it is likely that people living with dementia who experienced a traumatic past event may reconnect with those buried memories and find themselves reliving some version of it. Should your spouse be reliving a past event involving infidelity, it may help to use some of the same strategies that helped you move past it the first time. You may want to enlist the services of a licensed therapist with solid dementia behavioral training who can assist you with this specific, can't talk, with this specific situation. And when I say solid dementia behavioral training, you're going to need to ask some questions such as, what is your preparation and experience with working with people living with dementia and working with caregivers? If your potential therapist tells you that they are a certified dementia practitioner because they took this course that's online, it's, oh, I forget, it's the National Association of Certified Dementia Practitioners. I've seen their curriculum. I've seen their training. It's real light on behaviors. It's the type of training where they say, oh, these are the behaviors that happen. Great. But they don't really give strategies to deal with it. And honestly, one of my previous podcasts, I forget what number it was, but I did, it was removing the stigma of a dementia diagnosis. And I interviewed someone who does teach for that program. She jumped into it when it first started up. She thought it was a good idea. 
And she realizes now that the strategies for addressing behaviors is really not strong in this curriculum. So when people tell me they're a certified dementia practitioner, I go, that's nice. And I, I'm not impressed because I've actually had people coming from these programs in my courses working with me one-on-one because they took this course thinking it would help them with the behaviors they were experiencing in their own life, and it didn't. So anyway, I'm not impressed. So people who tell you they had some gerontology courses or they have a certificate in gerontology, that's, that's nice. I don't think it's going to, it's not the type of experience you want. You want to find out how, what type of work they've done, what type of training they've done, and who they've worked with. So I would definitely have you ask these questions because I do see therapists advertising online that they can provide dementia behavior coaching, but I'm not sure of their real life experiences and real life credentials. So enough said about that. I want to talk next about scarcity delusions. As I've said earlier in this podcast, using things like logic to convince your family member that they are financially secure may not be effective. Even presenting them with bank statements might work a little bit or may not. And if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably tried logic and bank statements already, and maybe the bank statements did work for a bit. Sincere reassurance is an approach that tends to work. When your family member expresses concern about not having any money or not having enough money, you can reassure them, I'm handling everything, or I've taken care of the bills. You are safe. The you are safe, you are okay, that really needs to be part of the script. You can also say things like, you have enough money to pay the bills, stay in the house, pay the nurses. But that sentence alone, I think, might be too much. And another effective approach that works around scarcity delusions involving medications and medical bills is to simply say, the insurance paid for that, or Medicare is covering these bills. Sometimes your loved one with dementia may express fears that a specific individual has access to their finances and is stealing from them, resulting in poverty. This is an example of scarcity and persecutory delusions overlapping. You can use a version of the previous scripts I've used and say something like, it's okay, I made sure that name of the person can't touch your money. Your money is safe. And again, saying the same two or three short sentences over and over again why it feels weird to you, it'll work in people living with dementia, especially those moderate in the moderate stage or late moderate stage where they're having trouble holding on to all the words. So when you are trying out the different scripts, do not launch into long explanations. And this is tempting to do because this is how we are wired. We have long histories of offering 
long and logical explanations to strengthen our initial statements. Please avoid this temptation. You will only succeed in making the situation worse. And I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record. And for those of you who don't know what a record player is, it's okay. But I know I'm sounding redundant. And I will sometimes repeat something a couple times in the podcast. Because to me, this is information that I'm very familiar with. But this is new stuff for you. So again, it is better to use two to three very short sentences and repeat them and repeat them some more. You will feel like you are on an audio loop, but your loved one will respond. Although you are aware of the repetition, they may not, thanks to their loss of short-term memory. Another interesting thing is, as you repeat the same phrases over and over, the phrases will feel increasingly authentic to you. And that feel of authenticity will come across and will help the phrases work even more when faced with the different types of delusions. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you have any questions or ideas for topics that you would address, please email me. It's rita.jablonski at gmail.com. I think I have contact information in the show notes. If you're listening to Spotify, I think there's even a way to leave like audio messages. I haven't had anybody do that, but that would be cool. All right, everybody. It was great spending this time with you. So let's go forth and make dementia our bitch. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so other dementia caregivers can find this podcast. If you are a caregiver for someone with dementia and need help understanding and dealing with these behaviors, please contact me. You can find me on Facebook, Make Dementia Your Bee, or email me, info at makedementiayourbitch.com.